I thought I was Jonah. And I didn't want to go down that path. So I ignored the red flags, the gnawing doubt in my mind, the gnawing sense in my stomach that I should say no, that I should flee. I had plenty of signs, but I wasn't going to head to Tarshish. I didn't even buy the ticket. Instead, I packed my bags and headed to Nineveh. That's where God was calling me. I knew it. And by God, that's where I was going to go. When I got the call, I said yes. I thought I was Jonah and I wasn't going to go that route. But it turns out that's not who I was at all. I know the story of Jonah. I really like it. I think the end of the book of Jonah is as funny as anything else in the Bible, which admittedly is like a pretty low bar. But in spite of the mythological scale and nature of the story, in spite of the fact that I don't actually personally believe it literally and I, I don't worry about not believing it literally, it's a story I value. I identify with grumpy Jonah. He shows up especially at the end of the book in the funny part and his hyperbole. I'll just tell you, everything works out. He gets thrown overboard, like in the part that Vince read. He ends up swallowed by a fish, which is the part that everyone knows. And then he prays a prayer. The text reads like he waited three days to pray and then prays, it seems weird and unlikely. And then after he prays, he gets spit out on dry land. He finally goes to Nineveh. He preaches incredibly effectively. The whole town repents and turns back to God, thereby avoiding a lot of grief and suffering for them. And then Jonah gets mad for reasons that I find psychologically complicated. He stops out of Nineveh. He builds a little shelter from which he can like watch the city. God makes a bush grow, gives him shade. Then God makes the bush wither. And that's when Jonah gets hyperbolic. And he says from his unshaded, grumpy shelter, I'd rather die than live like this. And God says... Is it right for you to be uh, angry about the bush? And Jonah, this is what I think is the good part. Jonah says, yes, I'm angry enough to die. There's a little more after that, including the book ending with a rhetorical question that God asks, an enjoyable ellipsis. But that pouty, yes, I'm angry enough to die. That's one of the parts that really makes me identify with Jonah. In my mind's eye, I hear him saying it and can imagine him simultaneously thinking, this is ridiculous. But I am angry enough to die. Like, I imagine, based on my own experience, him both feeling it and knowing that it's ridiculous to feel it. But it turns out that over-identification with Jonah can be dangerous. Fraulein Maria, at least in the musical version of her story, knows what she's supposed to be doing. She's supposed to be in chapel on time for prayer. She's supposed to be quiet in the stairs. She's supposed to not waltz on the way to mass. She's supposed to be quiet in the abbey. She's supposed to be a nun, devoting her life to prayer and contemplation. And from the very opening shot of the movie, we know that's not who she is. Even before the other nuns call her a flibberty gibbet, a will-of-the-wisp, a clown. Like, we know that she is someone who finds God outside the walls of the convent. Someone who finds God not in silence, but in song. Someone who, when she's lonely, goes not to her fellow sisters, but out, out into the hills. But Fraulein Maria knows her call. She knows what she's supposed to do. The whole thing is silly. It's not what really happened. Maria was not a slight, dreamy child. She was a sturdy, stern young woman. She was wild by some accounts, domineering, angry. The family didn't escape Austria on foot as in the movie. They took a train to Italy and then a boat to Vermont. But the version we have, the version we know best, those of us who know it, it still tells us something useful. 
Maria sits in her mother superior's office back in the convent. She's fled the house, the nannying, the children, the stern captain with a lovely voice. In real life, he was not stern, nothing compared to Maria, in fact. And she confesses that she is confused. She's never felt like that. She had to get away from it. She knows that coming back to the order is the right thing to do. She knows that the right thing to do is to take her vows. It's what God wants her to do. It's her call. She knows what she's supposed to do. And, and knowing what she's supposed to do, she's in pain. She's, she's pulled, pulled toward Tarshish, but she doubles down to go to Nineveh and do the right thing. There is these days, I think, a helpful cultural turn toward quitting, toward stopping, toward getting out of things that aren't working for you. I appreciate it, and I also fight against it. I think both by disposition and commitment. I'm mostly like a stick-it-out kind of person. In relationships, on projects, and definitely when I said yes to my what I thought was my Nineveh call. Not that I don't gripe about it, mind you. Like I said, I really identify with grumpy, complaining Jonah. But in relationships, on projects, and in that Nineveh call, press on, I tell myself, keep going, don't quit. John Magallanes, who some of you know, John is my trainer. And some years ago, John said to me uh, that there are some people that he needs to push and some people that he needs to tell to slow down. And even while he was saying it, I thought he was ramping up to being like, you really need to double down. You're gonna have to kind of push through. And instead he said just the opposite. I had no idea. So that was something I got wrong. Another thing I've gotten wrong is who I am in the Jonah story. First of all, identifying with a prophet is always dangerous. There's like a lot of ego involved. But also, according to John, that's not how I operate. I mean, not like Jonah does. I'm not the running away type. I'm the doubling down type. I'm the sticking it out type. Plus, there's this line in the story, the Jonah story, that I never paid attention to until this week. I didn't even remember it was part of the story. After the storm starts and after the sailors have divined that Jonah is the source of their problems, Jonah tells them that the answer to their problem is to throw him into the sea. But the story says, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. They knew something was wrong. The signs were clear, the storm was raging. They knew they needed to do something. They cried out, they prayed, they took the next obvious steps. They tried to lighten their load. They threw cargo overboard. They used their tools for discernment. They cast locks. The signs were clear. Jonah was to blame. They questioned him. They engaged the process. They sought wisdom. They even recognized truth when they heard it. Oh, God, you, you worship the God who made the sea and the dry land, and now you're fleeing from that God? They asked good questions about what was next, and Jonah told them the instructions couldn't have been any clearer. Throw me overboard, he said. Nevertheless, they persisted. They pulled hard, trying to bring the ship back to land. They knew it was the right thing to do. They knew they were on the right path. How could throwing a man overboard be right? 
It went against everything they believed. You protect everybody on board at the cost of the cargo if you have to. At the cost of anything, they, they rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. I thought I was Jonah. I was wrong. I was the sailors. There are times when persisting, when keeping on, is absolutely the right thing, the right call. When following the call through deep waters and great fear and uncertainty is the wise and important thing to do. When doubling down is the necessary thing to do. And there are times when we are so convinced that we're on the right path that we cannot hear the voice of God calling to us. Times when we're so convinced that we know what we're supposed to be doing that we misread the signs or we ignore the signs. We choose not to follow the way that is actually being shown to us or told to us in so many words. I was not Jonah. I was the sailors pulling and pulling in the wrong direction, scared and exhausted and angry. Some people need to be encouraged to press on. Some people need to be encouraged to slow down, to stop, to turn around, to pay attention not to what they're supposed to do, but to who they are, who God made them to be, a flippity gibbet, a will-o'-the-wisp, a clown. Some of us are just trying to do the right thing. Some of us stay on the wrong paths because we believe, we truly believe that we're doing the right thing, we're being virtuous. But there are those sailors showing us what the wrong way looks like as they lean into the wind. There are all those signs, the red flags, the gnawing doubt, the feeling that sometimes when you look at Captain Von Trapp, you can't breathe. There are the words themselves that people who know us and love us say. Mother Superior telling Maria that love can show up in all kinds of ways. Friends telling me that they could see me suffering, that I was scared and exhausted and angry, pulling, pulling, pulling in the wrong direction. God made you the way you are on purpose, with your little heart that sings in the hills, not in the chapel with your little face that looks good in a nun's wimple, but that's meant for something else. God made you with your ears to hear the voice of God, with vision to see the red flags and the signs. God made you for your path, the one that unspools out in front of you, whether you can see it clearly yet or not. Listen for what makes your heart sing. Follow the path, however little or much of it you can see, the path that God has laid for you. It may not be what you're supposed to do, but when you hear your heart music, when you learn it, when you sing it, that's who you are.